0: Many of my previous guests have always known that they were going to lead international lives. Some were third culture kids, like Asil Diab, who had grown up in international circles and just figured they'd continue the trend. Others are like Jerry Jones, who grew up in one place their whole lives, but took the first opportunity as an adult to go abroad. But neither was quite the case for Carmen Brown. The Atlanta native will readily admit that she never saw herself living abroad, and it wasn't until she was much older that she'd begun traveling internationally. But it makes sense. Carmen and her husband are medical doctors, and between college, med school, residency, and their eventual jobs, it didn't leave a whole lot of time for exploration during the early years. However, as they both settled in their careers, they started integrating travel into their lifestyle. And it was while they were on a trip to New Zealand, getting a much needed reprieve from their busy lives, that a seemingly random encounter would leave Carmen contemplating taking their careers global. In this episode, Carmen will recount the very real burnout and the decision making process that led her and her husband to move to a small town in New Zealand. She'll also discuss why she thinks her parenting style has adjusted abroad, especially as the mother of an autistic son. And she'll also discuss how she supports underserved communities, particularly indigenous populations in her adopted home of Melbourne. Carmen's journey to becoming an expat has all kinds of twists and turns, but once her family went down that path, it became obvious that living abroad was the choice for them for the long haul. Welcome to The Global Chatter. Awesome. So we are ready to rock and roll, and I am super excited to have our next guest because most of you know that I am a career counselor, and so I love talking about careers. And so when I find out, particularly Black professionals are moving abroad, for professional reasons, I always want to amplify that, especially for those of us who are uh, not in the 18 to 25 category where where (laughs) everything seems to be so, seems sort of young oriented, not that there's anything wrong with being young and we've all been young, but I think that for many people who, who listen to this podcast, many of you are professionals and and many of you've got families and children and, and, mm-hmm. and are in that stage of life. And so that's why having Dr. Carmen Brown here, I think it's going to be super fun. Mm-hmm. I think she's got great energy, so I think everyone's going to enjoy it. So Carmen, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I, You know what? I want to let people know she, look, first of all, she is bright and she is shining right now, but it is almost midnight. Midnight. <laughs> in her neck in the woods. And if, if she had said, look, it is almost midnight, I would have thought, oh, it's like two o'clock in Melbourne. And you're in, no. are you in the Melbourne area? I am. Are? I'm
1: in Melbourne. That's right.
0: Okay. So, uh, you know, thank you for faking the funk and you're so welcome. <laughs> being here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's start from the beginning. And man, I've done enough interviews to know we always have to start at the beginning with expats, otherwise, especially mm-hmm. when people don't know y'all. <laughs> and so I I know for a fact because I do my research. Now you're from Georgia, right? Is that right? I'm from Atlanta. ATL. I'm from ATL. <laughs> but so so tell me in your childhood, and this is always important to me. Did you grow up traveling? No, not really. My, my mother was
1: actually a flight attendant for Eastern <laughs> Airlines.
0: And you didn't grow up <laughs> traveling.
1: Yes, but domestically. I'd never left the country. That's fascinating. Yeah, so, yeah. So, just so, where did you go domestically? Um, pretty much, home, mom's home, Buffalo, New York. Uh, we went to Pennsylvania a lot. <laughs> the excited we,
0: locale of Buffalo.
1: <laughs> no offense, to my people there. Um, yeah, we we would travel to, I guess, but basically to see family. You know, Buffalo, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's where my dad yeah. is from. Um, I think a couple times we might have gone to the um, DMV area, but mm-hmm. in general, it's really just back and forth to those places um there were not a lot of exotic locales uh, yeah. it, it just it wasn't it was domestic um back then and i'd not left the country at all until 1999 that's the year i first wow. left the united states and went to mexico so i know a lot of people don't count that because they're connected <laughs> no but... <laughs> mexico's
0: different though mexico exactly. is not the u.s <laughs> exactly. well, so, so what, i counted <laughs> so i was gonna say what took you to mexico a uh, honeymoon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, hey. We're, 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 well, you know, um, here's the funny thing Mexico, I think, right now for Americans is kind of popping, and, and it was sort of always been popping. Yes. but But beca- I, I hate to say it, but because of COVID. Mm and it, the proximity, yes. right? Yes. So it is It is funny to me how many expats right now we're getting questions of black expats who want to move to Mexico. And so, yeah. so we, we ain't knocking Mexico. I mean,
1: hey. No, it's- no, I think there's a large expat <laughs> population there, which is, I learned about it recently because of COVID, and which is interesting. So um, yeah, I would definitely like to chat with some people from there because that's interesting. Oh my
0: gosh. So, you had, so Mexico was your first experience abroad. And so-
1: First experience.
0: I and love, back then, they yeah. didn't even require you to have a passport. Back then, I traveled <gasps> right. on my birth certificate. Yes, so that's- I remember that. Mm-hmm. Look, so, so yep. wait a minute. That means you kind of tell me your age because I know what you're. Ta- know what you're talking.
1: Well, about. you can. You probably do. I got married in 1999. <laughs> right. I really
0: wasn't actually a child, bro. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I was. I was quite young. So tell me though. So going to Mexico for the first time, right? And uh-huh. I love having these conversations with anybody, what, what was your experience and, and how did, how did it feel for you to be outside of the United States?
1: I actually loved it. I think the thing was, is I had taken Spanish in school. And so I felt like, Ooh, this is my opportunity to practice and get a chance to, um, learn a bit more about the culture. Um, yeah. And it, it, was, it was a good trip, but I felt like there was something missing. Like, I mm. don't feel like I actually got a chance to mm-hmm. um, see the real culture, the real side. Yeah. And I think that was the only disappointing part about it. And it definitely gave me that taste like, oh, my God, I want to get out of the country again and go somewhere else. Yeah. So I think that was the first little tiny inkling of, oh, I think I could do this and travel a bit more. Yeah. Um, I think I was always a little bit different. I always dreamed about faraway places, but I would never have thought that I would have been an expert. Like if someone had asked my old self, you know, back in the 90s and, you know, mm-hmm. Atlanta, oh, are you going to move overseas one day? I'd have been like, mm, I don't think so. It would have it wouldn't have been a stupid idea, but it would not have been mm-hmm. something that I would have said, this is my plan in life. Wow.
0: And so did you go so obviously having gone to Mexico, did you start to get the travel bug and go to other places? Um, that didn't come until
1: much later. So I, so that one trip to Mexico was in 1999, married yeah. here. And then I didn't leave the country again until 2000. And I believe it's 2007. 2007 wow. was wow. the next time I left the United States. And that's a long gap. And yeah. this was going to be my first real overseas trip. Yeah. And I went to China. <laughs> also different also very different (laughs) (laughs) and what what took you to china so actually it's funny i have i had a wonderful friend who's a travel agent and i had saved up some money and i said okay look i have three thousand dollars what can i do with three thousand (laughs) dollars he said well i can get you to jamaica or i can get you to china i'm like i want to go to china
0: (laughs) wow and that's different and so how long were you in china for um nine days nine days we went to beijing and did you, did you go by yourself or did you go with a group? Just my husband and I. Awesome. And so what was, what was now China for you? Because up to this point, obviously you've traveled domestically, mm-hmm. you've now gone to Mexico, which, yep. you know, is North America, but it's yes. still a yes. it's different culture. And then you go to yes. China, which is clear across into Asia,
1: totally different, totally <laughs> different. And boy, that was a real, that was an awesome, <laughs> awesome trip. Um, It was awesome by mistake, if that makes sense. Um, Somehow or another, and I'm not even sure how this happened, we ended up getting a tour guide, but it was a private tour guide, and I'm not even sure how that happened. I Uh honestly just think that it was just dead season or something, and they didn't have anyone else book in. (laughs) So we just had this one woman and this one driver, and they just took us all around. And they were able to take us to places that were not the normal tourist Mm -hmm. trap type of things, uh, which was very eye-opening. You got a chance to really kind of – immerse yourself in the culture. Um, We actually, she took us to a friend's house for lunch that lived in like some just random area in Beijing. It was absolutely amazing. (laughs) They didn't speak English. We didn't really, you know, I actually learned to speak a little bit of Chinese. So I took it in college. So I took Mandarin (laughs) for a year. So I knew a a little bit, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) a little bit, Um, but it was, it was, it was so fun and eye-opening to be. something so polar different from what you're used to and so far away from home, it was exciting. I was done. I was bitten by the bug, done, done, done. I was like, I have to get out again and do this again.
0: I completely relate to what you're saying about doing something that's polar different. I know that offline we were talking about, you know, your brother's a pilot for Cutter, And when I made the decision to live out there, part of it was... I had never been to Asia. I'd never been to the Middle East. I'd never been in that particular in a predominantly Arabic environment. And you're right. There's just something, if, if you allow yourself to be in the moment, yes. there's yes. just something about being somewhere new and different. Yes. And and also being a little surprised how other people live in the world. <laughs> yes, yes. You know? Yeah, I, you're I learning. You're just learning their everyday lives, how
1: it's different from yours, how it might be similar to yours. It just challenges you in so many ways.
0: I mean, it is, I, yeah, I, I can never enough... Vouch that travel is so important in in terms of how we see the world. But I'm I'm curious, then you've gone to Mexico, you've gone to China. Did you start to travel more or Uh life kind of slowed down from there? Um, because of the type of
1: jobs we had in the United States, traveling more wasn't really an option. Yeah. Um, I had, I think, three weeks of vacation yeah. a year. And of course, you want to spend some of that with family. Mm-hmm. So that left you two whole weeks that right. you, could, you know, <laughs> travel. Right. Um, so what I did was is my husband and I started banking, you know, vacations. So what we would do is just, you know, do one week, you know, long weekend here in Atlanta with the family. We were living in Phoenix, Arizona at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd do a short weekend trip to L.A., something like that like that and then we would bank that two weeks so we could just get away so in 2007 we went to china and then the next year we went to brazil (laughs) i love brazil
0: i'm I'm like following you because i'm like i've been there i've been there i've been there okay so this I got do nothing with nothing where brazil did you go because we went to
1: rio went to rio
0: i have been to i've been to rio and i've been to sao paulo and i've been to uh so This trip started with Argentina. So, I, but the reason I mentioned this is that do you know the falls, Iwasu Falls, that are up in the. Yes, I did. We didn't get there. Look, girl. Oh, Next I know. time you get, next time you're, I know you're across the world. Next time you are <laughs> in South America. I'll pop over. First, what you got to do <laughs> is go, go, first, you got to do the <laughs> Argentinian side. The Argentinian that's right, that's side right. is the. Full, like that's a that's the day. better side right right well it, it, they've all got their pluses and minuses but the argentinian side is the you're there for a day okay and then okay. spend the night up th- and it is up there <laughs> okay but spend the night up there in i mean hotel right and then do the Brazilian side. And then okay. I didn't make it to the Paraguayan side. But let wow. me tell you, the falls, it was something. But Bra- I would love that. <laughs> I But you were in Rio and I'm curious, what was your experience in Rio? Because... Brazil always makes me laugh in a good way when I think about it. It was it was so fun because we had an opportunity. We
1: went to a samba school, yeah, and this was nowhere near. This was like nowhere near um, carnival. So it was yeah. like I think I went in stepped. To no, November. I went in November. Yeah. So it was, wasn't near Carnival, kind of but it was kind of when they were starting to do their practices mm-hmm. and stuff. So we went to a samba school and party with the locals all night long. It was so fun. Oh the food, the beach, and Panema.
0: Right? Oh, man.
1: That place is awesome. It was so fun. <laughs>
0: Did you have, I'm curious if you've had this experience when I was in, when I was in, uh, when I was traveling in Argentina, everybody, dark skin, right? Everybody just assumed I was Brazilian. Same thing when Mm -hmm. I was in Uruguay. Well, Uruguay, they're kind of confused, but then they're like Brazilian. (laughs) Brazilian. (laughs) But when I got to Brazil, everybody, like literally one person was like, you look just like my cousin. How are you not? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. And I'm like, thank you. Also, many of you are West African descent, so this is all very possible. <laughs> exactly. But did you, did people ever, without you speaking, mistake you for being Brazilian or part of the community? Yes,
1: um, we did get that, which was really cool. Um, I don't think I expected that. Once again, having that, um, I guess, kind of, ignorant aspect, not knowing what to expect. I don't know what I thought Brazilians looked like before I got there, when I got there. And I was like, hey, everyone's kind of brown, brown (gasps) brownish, shades of brown, dark brown, (laughs) black. You know, it was just, it was amazing. And then, you know, doing the research and finding out like they have the largest African population outside of the continent. I was like, oh, wow. So that was once again, a learning experience. So I I found out that pretty much everybody could be a cousin.
0: Right. Right? (laughs) And I I mean, I agree with you. I think Brazil. Giselle is completely fascinating where I think when we see, Bra- I hate to say this, but when we see Brazilians in media, right, especially like if we look at North America, like North America, we think of Brazilian models. Yes. The and Giselles
1: and things like the, that. Right.
0: And and then they don't all look like Giselle at all. No. Like they all, they, they, I didn't see Giselle. I did all. not see her while I was there. I saw Naomi. But I, <laughs> right. but I didn't see Giselle. I did and not. And I think it was a very pleasant surprise for me to see just mm. the shades and ranges of, of black and brownness. And and one of the things that, I, that honestly made me smile, and as much as I've traveled, it was still, I kind of geeked out, is the number of folks of Asian descent who, who live in South America and in Brazil, you know, particularly Japanese. And, you know, Japanese, Chinese, Korean. And it, it, it's like my brain took a moment and had to pause. And I thought to myself, but why am I pausing? This is so common in the U.S. Like, But in my main, I never thought, oh, you could be, you know, I never thought Brazilian and an Asian descent, but I'm like, they're just, they have a lot of mixed cultures, mixed identities, mixed histories. And so I I, I say that to say that even as someone who probably even traveled more up to you did at at that point of life, I still came off going, oh, I wouldn't have expected this at all. Yeah. There's there's a lot of things that catch
1: you off. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that actually could be considered normal. It (laughs) changes your context.
0: (laughs) Right. And so how did you guys eventually, and I know that your expat story starts in New Zealand, but I Mm -hmm. believe... Actually there's a travel story that even starts all there of this. Is, there
1: is. <laughs> yeah. So um, so we so the China trip was the first. And so then we decided, oh my god, every year we're gonna do the same thing. So we backed nice. a little two weeks and every year it was like, okay, big trip. So first it was China, then it was Brazil, then the next year we went to Cape Town, South Africa, mm. and then the year after that we went to Australia and New Zealand.
0: So and let's that's pa- where let- it <laughs> <laughs> happened. Let's pause for a second. Stop. <laughs> Because I always ask this question of Black folks who do this for the first time. Africa, first experience, South Africa. What was that like? It was, I think when we
1: touched down the continent, really understanding and appreciating the fact that it was my first time on the continent was, it was an experience. Mm-hmm. It, it it didn't bring me to tears like I thought it would, like it will. I'm sure when I do get a chance to go to West Africa, knowing mm-hmm. that that's actually where I'm Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. But it was still a humbling feeling to know that I touched down on land that where I'm actually from. This is, this is mm-hmm. my home. This is my continent. So it was a humbling experience. It was a beautiful experience. And it was also beautiful seeing yourself reflected in people. Mm. Um, that was another thing I thought was just so beautiful. And then, um, I got a little confused <laughs> with the whole colored black thing. I was like, wait, what? what? Right. So that was, that was a little <laughs> <Right>. bit, <laughs> that was context matters, right? <laughs> it does. right? Um, that was, uh, you know, you, that when you hear that for the first time it's was like, oh, colored. I'm like, ah, don't call me that, sir. Right. You know? Right. And, but right. it's, it's a, it was a, it was a beautiful place to start off. Um,
0: I mm-hmm. got a chance
1: to do a safari. So we got yeah. outside of Cape Town, went up to Kruger. Yeah. Um, but to see, you know, the homeland, yeah. you know, it was, it was, oh my God, it was such a beautiful time. It was a good time.
0: I, you know, as many times as I talk to folks who get to Africa for the first time, um, I, I definitely hear some of that sentiment, like a and it's a spectrum of it, and and I think you are right. I think when you, because well, I believe you're going to get there. Well, you get the opportunity to oh, go yes. to West Africa, and I know that for a lot of people, usually the easier way or easier place to start is Ghana. Mm-hmm. um that's that's usually where i hear the emotions yeah. come yeah right
1: yeah i'll probably lose it i'm pretty right. sure i will
0: and and, <laughs> and because people get the opportunity to go to the ports and and to see mm. the start mm. right and and kind of know that and so but it is yeah you know, i always tell folks that africa can unfold for you in so many ways and so yes. you you find a region you find you have a connection with, and you have other places yes. where you're like, this is amazing, yes. but the connection's a little bit different, right? And so yes. I'm pretty I'm already pumped for you guys because I like I get pumped when people tell me where they want to go because I'm going. You're gonna have an amazing time. Yeah, or you're gonna hate it, but that's okay. That's <laughs> true.
1: That's and, true. There might be places you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna go back there, <laughs> and that's totally
0: valid. But I, I had to I had to make sure I stopped there before we get to New Zealand because I was like, wait a minute, she just went to Africa for the first time. Let's yep, circle back. I Did first time. Okay. okay. Okay, so, you go to New Zealand. We went to New Zealand, that's right. (laughs) Now- was New Zealand a bucket list place for you guys, or is it
1: just, you just it was. could go? It was, okay. a, it was a bucket list place. So it was like, okay, we're gonna hit Australia, New Zealand as you do, because you know, they're close together and you're going halfway around the world, so right. you might as well. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> you know, we're like, we're gonna go to both. And once again, we only got them little two weeks of vacation, <laughs> right. you gotta have some, you gotta have some recovery time. So then yes, you really right. don't have two weeks You more right. have like, oh, I don't know, like 10 days. Ten days so we yeah. actually did Australia, New Zealand, 10 days. And of course you're not gonna see the entire continent of of Australia, you're not gonna see all of New Zealand, but we had a breakneck trip in those 10 days, yeah, and really got a good feel. And the feeling that I got when I was in New Zealand was different from any other place we had traveled thus far. Now, granted, mm. I hadn't been a lot of places. I'd been yeah. to South Africa, I'd been to you know Brazil, I'd been to China. Yeah, but when I went to New Zealand, there's there was like this this blanket of peace or something that came over me. And I felt so just, I don't know. It's, I literally, I wish I could explain it better other than just peaceful in my soul. That's the best way I could explain it. That's oh the best goodness. way I can explain it. It felt like I could do this. I, I need to live here. My being belongs here.
0: And so was that a result of, of you just being on that trip? Or did you have interactions with people that kind of triggered that? Like what, what made you think, okay, I could just be here.
1: I think it was a combination of what was going on back home. Cause at the time, both my husband and I were literally up to eyeballs and stress and <sighs> just, just, not happy at work to the point where you know you hate Sundays because you know Monday's coming right after yeah. and you're stressed and you know you're eating unhealthy and you know you just have unhealthy habits you just just hate yeah. where you are in life and i just kept thinking this is not what i've done and fought for all my life so that i could hate going to work every day and so i was in that kind of funk just nasty spot in life mm-hmm. and then when we got to new zealand just the genuine nature of the people that we would met, the relaxed and just kind of slow lifestyle that everyone seemed to have. The fact that people seem more focused on, are you okay as a person? How mm-hmm. are you? And not focused on what you do for a living and, mm-hmm. you know, what your class is and how much money do you make a year? It just, none of that seemed to matter. It all seemed to be a genuine interest in the, the person as a whole. And I got that off the people. at least I, f- I thought I felt that off the people.
0: <laughs> you know, i I just did a recent interview with a woman who also a black professional, you know, very good at her job. And in her case, she's an attorney. And we're We're going to obviously talk about you being a doctor. Um, and her part of the reason she started what she' doing was because she needed a career break right yep. the re- the reality that she was working all these hours and the burnout and it it almost seems yes. like burnout was probably the thing that was coming for both you and your husband if you're working at such yes. a high stress level um interestingly enough i think we can almost recognize it better now because of covid at least in yes. the us because of how we've had to continue working even uh. in the midst of something traumatic happening both domestically and, and with, yes. a, with a virus. And so I, I guess then the question becomes, because I, I guarantee you there's at least one person listening who's like, I'm partially listening to this podcast because I want to be inspired by what people are doing. <laughs> so I guess the question comes, you're in this place that you find absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. and the energy is different and it's, and it's better for your wellness. Yes. Where is the point where you make the decision that maybe this could be a place I could live? So
1: you know how people always say that there were people put in your path and in your life for a reason and Mm -hmm. those people will help you move into the pathway that you were meant to be in. Yeah. So I met this random young lady (laughs) while we were traveling in New Zealand, literally random, cannot remember this woman's name to save my (laughs) life. And I don't even know if I'll ever see her again across paths, but she was an American trained doctor Mm -hmm. and she just happened to be traveling on her own. Mm -hmm. And she heard the accent. We started chatting, found out we're both doctors. Oh my God, that's so exciting. And she said, um, I work here now. And I said, oh, my God, that's so exciting, you know? And mm-hmm. and she says, you know, you don't have to take that for the rest of your life. And I was like, <laughs> she's right. It just clicked. <laughs> she didn't say, oh, I'll help you find a job and let me help you. It, it wasn't even that. It was just like, you don't have to take that for the rest of your life. And it clicked. And I was like, she's right. I'm going to get oh, out of here.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> So and so then, how does that process start? And and let me back up. You are a medical doctor, obviously trained. I know you went to Morehouse. I know you went yes. to Tulane for undergrad. I That's already know right. these things. Is your husband a physician as well? He is. He's an anesthesiologist. Okay, so you guys now did the two of you have this? Were you both talking to this woman, or was it you by yourself? You know, I don't even, I think it was just me by myself,
1: but it was funny because it didn't even matter because we were both in that same kind of space where we were just so burnt and fried that. We were just, we were unhappy, like really unhappy. In fact, on the trip, I was talking about the fact that when I came home, I was going to probably quit my job because Mm. I could not find the balance and I was just that stressed. I was like, I'm going to have to do something else. I can't do this much longer. So we'd already had that conversation. Gotcha. So it was already kind of out there there. that we were, we were at a boiling point. Um, And so yeah, that, that stimulus, just talking to her just seems like it was just like, boom, you're
0: supposed to be here. This Just feels like a, go this way. This was like a whole dream sequence, but I know she exists. <laughs> this is the she thing. Is. She's like, my husband wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> this know. woman existed. I so swear, then- <laughs> I wish I remember who she was. <laughs> well, shout out to her wherever she I is. Would, I, mean, I
1: would she, thank her. Thank you so much. She's in New
0: Zealand somewhere. She's American. She, so she can't She's living her best life. <laughs> <laughs> so then, okay. So you talked to this woman. You guys have already kind of already had this conversation. Yes. So from the practicality part of it, did you start plotting while you were in a plotting jokingly, but did you start plotting while you were in New Zealand on a trip or did you come back or were you on the plane or what, what did you just decide to do? So I, I'd never really do anything kind of
1: halfway. So mm-hmm. on the plane back, I was like, yes, yeah, so I'm going to quit my job when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> like, like all good people. <laughs> and and I'm, we're going to move to New Zealand. My husband was like, that's a great idea. That's like and me so,
0: every trip, though. I'm not even going to fly. Like every trip. <laughs> I, I, I swore I was moving to Italy. I didn't care about nothing. Tuscany was calling my name.
1: <laughs> me too. We got to go. We're talking about Tuscany. So I did it. Literally, I got home. And I felt like something had shifted in me. And I went ahead and wrote my little letter of resignation out. I put it in. So we got home from that trip in December. I tendered my resignation as soon as I got back. And my last day of work was at the end of January.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so you're doing that. What's your husband doing? Did he put in his resignation?
1: So he was actually working um, at a lot of different hospitals as an independent contractor. So he didn't really have to put anything in. So gotcha. it was really easy for him. He could just be like, you know, that was it. And,
0: and was, that was he it. He was
1: finished. So it was easier for him. I just put my resignation in and the last
0: day of work was the end of January. So while so while you're doing that, how did uh-huh. you prepare or or even start to put the pieces together for New Zealand so even before the pieces came together
1: the travel bug was still like sitting right on my shoulder and bothering me and Mm -hmm. I realized that we were going to go do something really different but I still wanted to travel and this Mm -hmm. was going to be our first break in life that we Mm -hmm. could do something big and I was like well let's just let's let's go travel and
0: (laughs) we're going to do an around the world trip
1: (laughs) And
0: that's what we did. <laughs> I, look, I love when grown folks do this stuff. Like I said, we always talk about <laughs> we, we always talk about the 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 eighteen to twenty five year olds. But I yes. love when like grown people, yes, with yes. with careers, yes, and retirement plans and bad backs, right. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) are like, ooh, we go travel for a year or travel for six months and we're just gonna go around the world because then it takes out this mystique that it only has to be if you haven't reached a certain if you haven't done something by a certain age, you can't do it. And so how long did you guys travel around for? Six months. So you did do okay. You did it. Six months. (laughs) Six months
1: around the world trip. We hit twenty seven countries. See. That's the life right there.
0: <laughs> it was so awesome. It was so, so how did good. you So uh, while you're traveling is that one did you take that time to kind of figure out what the next steps were or was it yes. really a full I really need to disconnect, decompress, get my mind back? It was a bit of both
1: because at that point I had completely turned off from the idea of coming back home and going back to the same kind of grind. Mm -hmm. And so that was when we were like, okay, we are really going to try to make this work in New Zealand. The first half of the trip, I would say, was just really just live in, disconnect, immersing yourself in the culture, um, learning about these new places and spaces you were going to. That was the first half, just literally trying to just relax and release all that tension, the stress that we'd had built up from, you know, working for like the last eight years. Um, And then the second half, I was, I remember faxing documents from a hotel in Peru to a (laughs) a recruiter in New Zealand. So (laughs) I was looking for a job while I was traveling. Exactly. That's what you do. (laughs)
0: All right. So we're back. And what I would like to do is really transition and start talking about how you practical, practically got to New Zealand. Because one of the questions I get um, in general with my folks who are already in a, like established careers is well, how do I even find an opportunity Mm. in a different country? And now we know things are industry-specific. I say this all the time. Different industries do different things. But you obviously were able, you and your husband were able to find opportunities in New Zealand once you decided that's where you wanted to go. Which, by the way, I want to tell folks, I think that's even key. You already knew what country. Yes. So that helps a lot. Yes, it does. If you're thinking about being an expat and it's tied to professional reasons as well as other things, knowing the countries already takes out, like, I think half of the work. And so how did you start to find the opportunity that would eventually lead you to New Zealand? So our first foray into this is honestly, I would say
1: about, this was 10 years ago. I don't think there was a lot of information out like there is now. And so I'm saying that to say the way we went, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. And what we did is we used a recruiting agency, a locum company that places doctors mm-hmm. in like different positions and, and, the reason why we use them is because we honestly, there was no information out there. There was, mm-hmm. I don't think Facebook was even a really big thing back then. And if it was, it wasn't really utilized as much. Mm-hmm. There was no LinkedIn. You didn't have as much access to information. And so trying to find a job and figuring out what to do was not going to happen unless you had some help. And so we opted to go with a company to help us find jobs in New Zealand. And they were able to place um, both my husband and I at the same hospital, uh, mm-hmm. which was key because it you know going to be difficult if you got two people same profession trying to go to the same area in a very small country. So that was that was another big key. So we were able to find jobs at the same hospital together and um yeah, so we used the agency to do that for us.
0: And I think that's super powerful and I I often don't talk about that enough, but to be fair, even in the 2020s that we're in right now that's a way a lot of people are still finding opportunities uh-huh. um, because I and I think especially when you're in a in a certain level in your career right so I see it with my international educators I see it with my engineers and I obviously could see that with medical professionals where yes. having an agency who actually understands the system knows the system knows the system you're coming out of and in your case obviously you're American so that's a little bit different, I think, compared for maybe some other nationalities and they, they can kind of make that yes. work. Yes. And so when you were when you were making that jump and they found the opportunities, were you and I'm, I'm curious about this because I'm thinking like my folks who are diplomatic corps, maybe other businesses, uh-huh. did they find housing and all of that for you? Or was that something you had to kind of work out on your own?
1: Uh, so they found housing for us and the hospital actually had housing um, that was near the campus for visiting, you know, visiting docs, the visiting physicians. nurses. So we were able to stay in one of the hospital houses, uh, okay. which was really nice. So that actually worked out very, very well. Oh my gosh. Oh my yeah. gosh. Sorry.
0: I love free housing. <laughs> I love to cut it. Free, hu- free housing, man. That, free housing that is, is the so price right. alone. <laughs> yes. the free housing is Free awesome. housing and low cost housing. Yes. And so where did, where did you, you go in New Zealand? I, I keep saying in my mind, it's Auckland. And I know that's because Auckland's big. And then my brain also wants to say Wellington, but I know that's not right. So where did nope. you, where did you go? <laughs> so our
1: very first um, job in New Zealand was literally at the bottom of the South Island. So if you went to the map, went all mm-hmm. the way down to the bottom tip, that's mm-hmm. where we were. Um, it's a farm, a little farm town called Invercargill. Mm-hmm. And it is known for dairy farming, and yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> and it was – I loved it. It was a lovely town. It it had terrible weather, um, but – because the next stop after Invercargill was Antarctica. Mm, so gotcha. you kind of get an idea of how yeah. far down it is. Yeah. Um, but it was – it was just so beautiful. It was surrounded by so much natural beauty. And that I think is the hook with New Zealand, especially on the South Island. So if anyone wants to know South Island, I'm like pro South Island all the way because it was so beautiful. And yeah. it's so much more wild and you know natural and has all the things that you see and think about when you think about New Zealand. Lord of the Rings, it was all South Island pretty Bit. much. So oh it's just gosh. that got that stunning jaw-dropping beauty like I can't believe this is real kind of thing. So that's that's where we were. We lived in places where I can't
0: believe this is real. <laughs> so this is real. And yeah. so and you and you guys had come from Atlanta. Mhm. I um, see, I really think this is a stage of life thing because you came from Atlanta and you're talking and you're like, it's rural. And it, it's like mm-hmm. the, the the scenic New Zealand and what yes. you think of the movies. Yes. And I get excited because I'm old enough now to be like, oh my God, I just want to farm somewhere and people need to leave <laughs> me alone. So when you, when you say <laughs> Sounds good. I can't I can't farm. I'm a generation removed. I can't farm. But but you said that and the old yes. person in me is like, yes. yes. And I know that there are people who are like, wait yes. a minute, where's yes. the nightlife? I mean, I guess no nightlife. Mm, you are How, so very right. It's
1: an age thing, because I, I would honestly tell somebody who's, you know, probably 10 or 15 years younger, eh, I don't know if you'd be happy here. I don't I don't right. know if you would, you know?
0: How and um you're in this community. So tell me kind of the makeup of the community. So I, I'm going to assume Mm -hmm. there weren't a whole lot of black folks. I mean, there might've been, sometimes I'm surprised, but
1: I think there were two, me and my husband.
0: husband. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You're like my, my friend Candy, who I interviewed, who's in rural, rural Japan. I was like, how many black people? Well, there was when they started the two of them, Mm -hmm. her and her husband, and then they had kids. And then there's a Nigerian man way up the road married to a Japanese woman. <laughs> okay, so, so there were there there, three adults. But yes. yeah. yes. So, so what was what was it like being in that community? Obviously, coming from the U.S. and then and then actually very far from the major centers in, in yes, New Zealand. Yes. Um, that was
1: an interesting experience because once again, the people in New Zealand are very open and welcoming, mm-hmm. um, but they were super shocked <laughs> to see us. <laughs> yeah. And um, whenever we would go out, when we first got there, my husband and I said, oh, they're doing that unicorn stare again. Like, you know, when you look <laughs> at someone, you can't believe what you're seeing and you want someone yes. else around to check to see if that's what they're seeing. So they're like, yep. <laughs> <Yes. That's laughs> and then he looked around to see somebody else. You see this, you know, kind right. of thing. <laughs> so, right. And it was, it was funny because the thing that we got from it, I know if people hear that and they hear people staring and, you know, we would go to the grocery store and everyone's looking and everything. But the thing that made it... So fun and beautiful is because then they would stare and then they would break into this giant smile and then they would like follow you around and try to strike up a conversation and want to talk to you and everything. And be it was friendly. The, yeah, it was to the point that we were like, oh my God, we don't want to go out to dinner because if you go out to dinner, then someone's going to hear you at the next table. They're going to pull their table over and they're going to sit there and talk <laughs> to you. And that's what happened almost every single time we went out. We just would make friends and, you know, people wanted to meet us and talk to us and everything. So it was this, it was this kind of beautiful community that really just kind of wanted to envelop us and learn about Mm -hmm. us and figure out who we were. We also got the warmest reception and probably bought in even deeper to our Maori friends. So Mm -hmm. they definitely have a closer identification Mm -hmm. with brown people. Yeah. And so anytime I met a Maori person, they were just like, okay, so, you know, black person to black person. I was like, oh, you're black. Okay. Well, hey, if you want to be black, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so but we we would have these deep conversations and they taught us a lot about their culture, taught us a little mm-hmm. bit of their language. It was, it was just really, really good. And we were adopted by a family there basically. That's they cool. invited us to all their birthday parties and family gatherings, and it was it was beautiful. It was really good. We really, like, fit into the community. How long were you in that community? We were only there for 16 months, so it wasn't that long. Um, mm-hmm. I, it it wasn't that long, but that's always going to be my first landing place and, like, my first kind of home in New Zealand, and we still have very close friends there. In fact, our, um, our child's godparents live in, in. in New Zealand, <laughs> so...
0: And I was going to say, was, was that 16 months your entire time in New Zealand? Or were you, did, or was it, was your 16 months in that entire time in that community? Or did you go to other places and work and live in New Zealand? Just that community. And um, what we did and what I call in my
1: business is a boomerang because there's a lot of of doctors have done the same thing. So a lot of people just go for the, the temporary job, the one year position. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to go take a break, you know, give myself a rest, Mm -hmm. work in New Zealand, experience a different lifestyle, and then come back to my normal life. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: a lot of us have done that just boomerang. They're like, that was a bad idea. I'm going right back to New Zealand. And right. so we did that. So we left our job in New Zealand, said goodbye to all our friends and everything we made, you know, packed up on July 4th. I remember it's July 4th, <laughs> went back to the United States, Right. got our old, ba- our old jobs back. Who does that?
0: Did <laughs> like, you really? The one that you stepped down from? You got that right back? Okay. Well
1: hey. Hey. I did. I got I got my job back and started back in the grind. And after nine months
0: decided, hey, I can't do this.
1: Sorry.
0: <laughs> sorry. Well, sorry. you gave you gave it a longer go than some people, because so did, did. so so let me ask you that question because I had a whole different question, but now this is really interesting to me. So after nine months, you, you're you just like, I can't do this. What is your plan at that point? Go back to New Zealand. Literally. That was your plan? I,
1: not, after nine months, I was like, yeah, I don't think I could do this. And we started looking for jobs in New Zealand. And we had made a bargain that whoever found their job first one, We would just go to wherever that person landed the job and the other person would figure it out. As we went along, kind of thing. So that was the plan. So we both started pouring over the ads, looking on the internet, trying to find things, looking for a job. So we immediately start looking back for jobs about nine, 10 months back from New Zealand. Went right back to looking for jobs there.
0: What and what give us the time frame? What year is this now? That
1: would have been um twenty end of twenty eleven, beginning of twenty twelve twenty twelve. So you yeah. were
0: so you were in New Zealand, what about two thousand nine, two thousand ten? Two thousand and
1: ten to two two thousand
0: into two thousand nine, two thousand eleven, yes. Yeah, so yep. Okay, so that was your period. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so how long did it take you to find the next so how long did it take you to find the next opportunity? That did not take very long at all. I think I found and landed my job probably around March
1: of twenty twelve
0: so nine months you know you're done you start mm-hmm. looking About and then three months later find a job three, i was gonna say i'm like doing the math three months later mm-hmm. and wh- where did that where was that job gonna take you so that took me
1: that took us back to the south island um so this one this one was even this was amazing so we ended up Right in wine country, so um, so if you've ever had a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, that's where we lived. So the yeah. main Sauvignon Blanc like producing region. So we're at the top of the South Island, which happens to be the sunniest place in New Zealand, and it's just vineyards, just vineyards everywhere. It was so nice. So that's where <laughs> the job was.
0: And how and how long did you end up with staying in that area? Oh, oh, but wait, it gets better.
1: Oh, we had a, we had a little hiccup. So I did my interview. In March. Yeah. And I was pregnant. <laughs> it happens. That happens. <laughs> All right. So I was like, hey, yeah. So I'm gonna need a little time off when I get there. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> just a little. Sorry. <laughs> just a little bit.
1: Um, and I'll be there as soon as we can. We were making plans. Um, so this job is in March, and you know, I was like, Hey, just give me a couple more months. We're planning on moving, you know, in like June. That's our plan. Little one decided that was not going to work for him, right <laughs> at all. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to make your life very, very difficult, and you, mom, who is an obstetrician, are going to have a very complicated pregnancy. Oh my goodness!
0: <laughs> Yay! Oh, because if if anyone should have a complicated pregnancy, it should, be it should be so. Who knows exactly what a complicated pregnancy oh, looks gosh. like?
1: Yeah. So I got a, I got a really good taste of my own medicine. So wow. I had a firsthand experience about what some of my poor patients go through when yeah. they have a really difficult scary pregnancy so that was me so little my little boy derailed our plans of going back to new zealand completely completely totally derailed it
0: so he was born in the us
1: he was <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're like you're looking <laughs> like also. Parent You know, parents of TCK sometimes are like, oh. especially when the kids are born in their passport country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really we, tried. Oh, like, we tried. I had a plan.
1: <laughs> I had a plan. He would have been a he would have been a citizen because so a, the yeah. rule is in New Zealand is if uh, one of your parents is a permanent resident, the child is a citizen. But they don't. It's not like the United States where you just to right, be on right. soil yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So, but we had permanent residency from when we were in New Zealand um, before, and cool. so all we had to do is birth them on country, and that would have been. <laughs> You know, that would have been fine.
0: Man, that happened to a friend of mine. Her mama tried so hard to have that little boy where he needed to be. And uh, he no. came. He was early. Yeah. <laughs> so he missed out on the passport. But the, the wow. other two siblings had passed. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. Um, okay. So let's, let's track for a second. So you have your son. Yes. You're in the U.S. Yes. What happens
1: with your career? So um, I still worked um, because that's just, I guess, what you do. You like to torture yourself. So um, still worked husband still working and uh then when my son was nine months old i found a job in new
0: zealand (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to figure out how long it would take before you guys failed
1: (laughs) i only last nine months usually nine nine months
0: months. (laughs) that's the length of the pregnancy
1: that's the length i I can't wait you're
0: you're doing better than most people though because why stay in a situation you hate Exactly. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you found you found an, another opportunity in New That's Zealand. Right. Found another opportunity in New Zealand. Did you make this opportunity in New Zealand? I
1: made the opportunity. <laughs> we moved back home. I say home to New Zealand <laughs> yeah. with my little one in tow. He was ten months old when we got mm-hmm. on the plane and flew all the way across the world again to New Zealand. And let's see, that was we moved in. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, it was October 2012, uh, 2013. Okay. 2013,
0: 2013,
1: 2013,
0: okay. October, 2013. Okay. So this next question is actually going to set up the question I really am going with. How long were you in this role? Uh, this role I was in for almost three years. So you are obviously a physician and your husband is, and I, I think we started to get into some of this early on when I was asking you questions at this point you've had, so what let's say about five six years total of being at least a physician in New Zealand. Yes, does that sound about right? Yep. You know very well, as someone in the medical industry, a uh, uh, profession, and someone who's American, how very much healthcare in the U.S. is such a political topic. Yes, and it is <laughs> such. It is such a. I, I don't even. My first, the first term in my head was dumpster fire, but that's not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I, but I wanted to be I like would've, I would have corrected you.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this, like Tinder, like just in a, just this topic that for whatever reason just evokes all kinds of emotions, good, bad, wherever you are in the political spectrum. Yes. I am curious because you you know the debates over healthcare, You know the debates over health insurance. You know all of this, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a right, whether it's a privilege, who should pay for it or whatever. I'm curious to someone who's actually practiced and, I, and I'm taking up to New Zealand and I know that you are practicing in Australia as well. Mm-hmm. So feel free to include that experience. But how is it different being a practitioner in, in Oceana, quite frankly, than it is being in the U S like, what is it, what is different? Because obviously you've also alluded to your own health and wellness. So right. what has been different for both you and your husband just being doctors, yes. not in the U S. Um, I have to admit the reason why you do
1: find American doctors here is because there's no comparison. It is so much better. It is absolutely and utterly so much better. Uh, I left the United States because of my job. That was the reason why I left. I know that a lot of people, more contemporary, you know, leaving circa 2016 because of political reasons or whatever, I literally left because of my job. I, you know, went into it as a bright eyed, bushy tailed you know, young person thinking I was going to open up a practice in Atlanta down the street from a family and just do all this wonderful work. And, you know, a couple years out of training, realized that that was literally a pipe dream gone eons ago. There was no mm-hmm. such thing as the family doc and there was no such thing as having that person experience that you had when you were a child, like I remember having with our pediatrician and my mom's Mm -hmm. obstetrician and that type of thing, it was, that was not going to happen any longer. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: the, the older I got in medicine, the more disenfranchised I began, I became, uh, knowing that there were all these barriers put up between myself and my patients, uh, knowing that I could not give the best care that I could, and -hmm. that there was actually you know, people and layers in between us to prevent me mm-hmm. from doing that service, it it frustrated me, it depressed me, and it just, you know, irked me to the point where I was like, I'm, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You yeah. know, I spend more time on paper than I do with the patient. That makes no sense. So yeah. can't do this anymore. And so when I came to New Zealand, I honestly Didn't know that much about their health system. I came slightly ignorant. I have to admit, I was just basically running from being, you know, unhappy and uncomfortable. But when I got into their system, I was like, oh my god, universal health care. What? What do you mean?
0: (laughs) First of all, as an American, we're like, wait a minute, this is a thing.
1: You know, what do you mean that? They don't pay a bill, like there's, they just come in, see the doctor and walk right on out. There is no money exchange, there is no credit card machine, there is no billing and coding office. None of that is present because it's free. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it's just it was a mind-boggling idea that you just take care of people the way you're supposed to, the way the book says. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about those layers of nonsense about making sure you have the right modifier, the right code, that this person's Cigna or this person United Healthcare, oh, you can't write this pill for them because their their pharmacy doesn't cover that. I mean just that That doesn't make any sense. you can't take care of people with all those rules and regulations and people telling you what you can and cannot do yeah you don't I didn't have that anymore, and when I actually felt that and was able to experience that, oh I was done. I was like, oh, there's no way I'm ever coming back.
0: <laughs> no way <laughs> and when you when you guys made the move to Australia, was it is the system similar to New Zealand, or is it different? But even if it's different, did you still sort of have that shared? It's still better than what I left? kind oh, of oh yes.
1: Okay. it's still better. There are so many different aspects to it, and a lot of it is cultural. We know yeah. once again, you know u k europe, Australia, New Zealand, they definitely believe in that whole person idea. you know, you you know, you work just to live, not live to work, you know so mm-hmm vacation I had you know I remember I told you those three weeks of vacation and all the mm-hmm. jobs i would had for years and years in the US I get to New Zealand bam I got six weeks of vacation <laughs> I don't know what to do with that <laughs> six weeks of vacation
0: <laughs> you, you could actually go home for Thanksgiving and come back and still have a ton of yes.
1: isn't yes. that crazy isn't it, that is. Insane? it is and, and actually that's what we did so uh, we went home one time and we stayed for almost a month mm-hmm. Cause you I still could, have vacation, still have vacation left, still have vacation. <laughs> I love it's just, it. The, uh, it just, it was so amazing the way your lifestyle was and how different it was. Instead of having a you know a sixty, seventy, eighty hour work week, mm-hmm. I had a forty hour work week. It was as just, a doctor, yeah, wow. which is huge. <laughs> like oh my right. god! <laughs> so it it was the the differences in living lifestyle, patient care was all significantly different. Australia still the Very different. However, caveat, Mm -hmm. Australia has a private health care system, too, Mm. um, in that patients can purchase private health insurance if they choose. About 50% of Australians carry some kind of private health insurance, but they also have Mm. Medicare, which is free health care for any resident or citizen. Um, Mm. After working in New Zealand, I made the choice that I was going to work for the government publicly Period. So I prefer it that way. I feel mm-hmm. more that I'm actually giving back to my community that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just that's just my personal preference. So I, I still work for the government. I work for the Australian government now. I worked for New Zealand government before. Um, still have that same work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Still have the same five, six weeks of vacation. Ten paid holidays off a year. You know, just
0: totally different from what we had in the United States. And so because we've been talking about Australia what what caused you guys to look to moving to Australia after having been basically in New Zealand on and off but really a grand total of 5 6 years what what was yes. the catalyst for that <laughs> so I I have to admit the last job I had
1: in New Zealand that was that was probably going to be my resting place I actually saw myself retiring out of that job I love mm-hmm. the place love the um, town love the people were really set up good friends and everything um, and we had uh, we had our son Noah with us yeah. and that's when we start noticing some things about his behaviors uh, mm-hmm. things about his tolerances to lights and people uh, and then we we were like, you know, he stopped talking and we'd, it was one of those things like you notice, but you, you're like, oh, that's odd, you know? Mm-hmm. And so little by little, things started happening. And then we were like, I think, I think we should get him assessed. Something's Mm -hmm. not quite right with his development. And at the time he was about two, two and a half. Mm -hmm. And um, I took him to one of my friends, a pediatrician and everything. And that's when they gave him a diagnosis that he had autism. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he's really young. This is good. We've made an early diagnosis, but we got to hit the ground running if we want to get him those skills that he's going to Mm -hmm. need to kind of, you know, navigate in the world. So he's like, okay, he outlined the kind of things we need. Okay. You need speech. You know, you should probably have an occupational therapist. And you best. should have this and that. And so they've given us all these things that we should look at. We're in a small country town. Mm-hmm. There are maybe 30,000 people in our town. Mm-hmm. They had a speech therapist that we shared with another town, like three hours away that came once a month. Mm-hmm. So all the things that he had outlined that we needed to do to give Noah the best Ability to like, you know, work around our world, we didn't have at all. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we, we knew that now that we had a, a son, a black son, mm-hmm. there was no chance I was going back to the United States We were settled, we were happy and jobs and life was good. We had to make a change, but it had to be somewhere else. It -hmm. had to be in that country or another country, but it could not be in the United States. So we made the decision. Let's look over here, across the ditch, (laughs) as you do. (laughs) So we looked for um, early intervention programs in Australia, which, of course, is a much bigger economy to scale, Mm -hmm. and found an amazing program in Melbourne. And I happened to find a job near (laughs) Melbourne. like. It just all worked out. It literally all fell into place. So that is the reason why we moved um, from from New Zealand to Australia. And we moved in June 2016. So we're about to make five years in a couple of months.
0: Mm -hmm. Five years. So you kind of triggered two questions in my mind. Um, And yeah, I definitely want to hit both of them. So we'll talk about your son in a moment. But this is something... I really am fascinated by because you mentioned your interest in working and having worked with the New Zealand government and now the Australian government. I've had conversations with um, other Black expats who, particularly American, so I was, I'll, I'll phrase this because I talked to all kinds of Black expats, but particularly Black Americans where there's always this question of, especially someone who is in a profession like yours, that's a giving profession that serves the public, if there's ever been a challenge that you felt wondering, should I be helping or should I be using my services for the folks at home or even a slight, I I hate to say, but it is the word guilt that comes up. That word comes up all the time (laughs) in terms of, especially let's be Mm -hmm. honest, when you are a black person who has got a role, like you're a doctor, OBGYN, your husband's an anesthesiologist. Like these are titles that even if people haven't gone to school, they're like, wait, you've, you yes. with us, you have gone to some levels that that a lot of Black folks particularly had not historically been able to go to in this country. Yes. And so have you ever felt that tension of, I'm doing these amazing things, I'm not doing it in Atlanta, though, yes. or in the States?
1: Yes, that I have to admit, that is, if anyone ever asked me, one of the um, reservations I have about... My move and what we're doing, that would definitely be the biggest one. And mm-hmm. I think you used the right word is guilt. Um, because, you know, my goal when I became a physician was to stay and help my community. I really thought I was going to set up in Southwest Atlanta and that was just going to be where I was. And especially looking at the maternal uh, mortality rates and the disparities and health care yeah. and disparities COVID and COVID and Black and Hispanic patients, yeah. that all definitely wears on me. And so I think one of the things I had to do in my mind was I had to realize that, um, you know, you, you know how they say on the airplane, you know, you got to put your oxygen on yourself (laughs) before you help others. That's how I felt because honestly, when I was home, I was helping in the capacity in the patients that I touched on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. but there was so much more I could do, but I did not have the capacity to do anymore. Yeah. I was barely staying afloat as it was personally. Yeah. And I could not take on any more to do more. Yeah. So for me overseas now, I have the ability, the capacity to work. Towards those things from afar, but yeah. I'm still trying to make a difference. And even if it's not with specifically, you know, our black um, patients back home, I worked with the indigenous populations mm-hmm. in New Zealand. So the Maori patients in New yeah. Zealand, you know, trying to get them more access to having, you know, cervical cancer screening and things like that. So yeah. I figured if I'm not going to be helping my people, I'm going to help the people that. I guess identify with the struggles that I've been through and my people have been through and that will be my contribution. Yeah. Um, and I still try my very best to keep up with um, I'm in a lot of different groups still um, actioning and grassroots um, action groups for black maternal um, morbidity and health I speak on a lot of panels um, yeah. I am definitely vocal on Twitter about that so I will still you know ride and die for my my black mamas back home yeah but in in this space now the best I can do is help these women who are still being undeserved in their own in their own home so right now that's my Aboriginal patients, yeah. and in New Zealand, that was my Maori patients, and back home, it will be my Black, Latina, Native American patients. I'm yeah. going to help those who have been left behind.
0: I think that that is such a great perspective because, number one, you've said you've just hit on it. Wellness is so important. Yes. And I think that when you are a talented person and you're a gifted person in whatever your space is, as you know, people want you. You you can get stressed very stressed and stretched very thinly. Yes, very because of of your skill set, right? Whether you are an educator, whether you are a physician, whether you're an attorney, whatever it is. And so I think you even recognizing you and your family that look, we're not gonna be good to anybody, whether no. they're Maori or you know, black from Southwest Atlanta. Yes, if we're not doing well. Right. And and perhaps your reach is even bigger because you are in a healthier space, because, I mean, let's think about it. You are helping and working with indigenous populations where you are, but are still connecting because of technology to the folks that are in the U.S. Whereas if you were in the U.S., you may just be really focused on, like you said, the patients you could touch, but not anybody else. Not anything greater. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the guilt conversation is something. It is amazing how often it comes up specifically uh-huh. With Black America, I, yes. I don't see it as much. Really, with the Black Brits or the Black Canadians, they are like, whatever, they gonna be all right. <laughs> like, but, but, and once again, <laughs> once again, different history. You know, I always say your blackness depends on where you started, right? Ooh, so yeah. we have different, we have different contexts, but like. <laughs> It's it's I I love it. It's literally Black Americans who are like I I feel that guilt. And everybody else is like, you know what?
1: Yep, <laughs> it's yep. gonna be ours. Right. That guilt does <laughs> way heavy on us. It does. And I
0: and and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I know for some folks, part of it is internally because folks are high achieving, mm-hmm. but part of it is also external. Yes, because somebody yes. is always fixing their mouth to say, right? Will. Why you got to be a doctor over there. Right.
1: I've had that before. I've had that on um, my Twitter account because um, I blow it up all the time about black maternal um, stats and, you know, all kinds of racial health disparities. I mean, that's yeah. my social justice platform. That's what I basically do on my Twitter account. Yeah. And I had someone say in the comments, you know, why do you even care? You're in Australia. I was like, because I do care and I can still do something from here. <laughs> right?
0: <It's not laughs> Watch like this you tweet st- blow
1: up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it's not like you stop being black or you exactly. got cut off from your family right. because you changed right. time zones. You right. just changed time zones.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and like you said, because of technology, there's so much you can do. I mean, I have, I could do a webinar and, you know, do Absolutely. some teaching and everything from here. Absolutely. so."
0: And you could. And the funny thing is, so I was a TCK in 1995, for example, I was in high school. You couldn't do that. Like you couldn't do a webinar because the technology wasn't there. People can do that in the 70s. So when folks really left, they really were cut off based on the technology. But now and especially I think COVID should teach us all that. We all can't go anywhere anyway. So that's right. Well, well you comfy. you you can show somebody a procedure now via Via uh, exactly. the internet that you couldn't before. That's right. So, so kind of moving on, and, and obviously, thank you for sharing kind of the the background and the story with your son. There's often, and, and in, in your case, you mentioned that you you noticed some of some of the the challenges that came up when he was little. So he'd already mm-hmm. he'd already been born. Um, I know that there's some families who have considered expatriation. But they may have a special needs member or dependent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so how do you think? And, and it's interesting to ask you this question because most of your parenting of him has been outside of the U.S. All of it has been,
1: yeah. <laughs> right?
0: So it's uh, you know, I it, and you and maybe you can answer this question if you can't. It's totally fine. But I wonder, how do you believe living at this time now in Australia? has impacted how you parent him and how you get his needs beyond the practical of you guys having to leave New Zealand and and come towards more Melbourne to get Uh services. Um, I definitely
1: think my parenting style is 100% different than it would be if I was in the United States. And I think there's a lot of different reasons. one of the things that's unfortunate is in the United States, we all know that you have to live, in, you know, in the good school districts, and um, in order to give your child those opportunities, you have to surround them in certain places and with certain people to to access those spaces. Whereas I, I feel here, because there is such a, a really good educational system. And we all know if anyone, if anyone wants to look up and you'll be just sorely hurt, look up the education rankings, the piece of rankings for the world, as far as like, you know, elementary, middle and high Mm -hmm. school. And the United States is not in the Mm -hmm. top 10 (laughs) at all, Right. whereas Australia and New Zealand are. Mm -hmm. So the idea that I can give him an excellent top-notch, you know, top 10, you know, public education in the world and not have to go broke doing it. That yeah. is huge. Yeah. The idea that um, kidnappings and violent attacks and school shootings are like very, very rare, if not almost unheard of. Yeah. That's huge on our parenting style. You know, if he wants to go ride a skateboard outside, I'm not up in the window freaking out, making sure that, you know, some white van is driven up and, you know, absconded with him. Yeah. It just, it gives you that peace and raising him has a completely different aspect and start, instead of raising him to say, you know, you have to be careful in these spaces and make sure your hands are up at all times. I, I don't have to teach him those aspects because that's not something that he's going to be challenged with mm-hmm. as a black male child here. Mm. So I think that's the biggest thing as far as the differences in how I would parent him differently here versus there. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just it's I think it's just more it's a more relaxed, more family oriented type of lifestyle, too, just because we don't work as hard as we did back home. So -hmm. you see families out all the time. My mom actually commented when she was here visiting last time. She said, I've never seen so many dads out with their kids.
0: Mm. Never.
1: It's not it's not abnormal to see dads out play dates at the playground. That's just like normal life here. Whereas in the United States, that is not the norm. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the way our cultures align, the way, the fact that people have to work so hard mm-hmm. to afford those lifestyles and make sure the children are all right. It is, is just so different here. It, it, it really changes the perspective of parenting mm-hmm. and, once again, that was another reason why solidified my reason why I couldn't come back because I would not be able to parent in the same way and be um, with him and accessible as I am now. I mean, I'm on the school council, like I have a job and I'm on yeah. school council. Like, who does that? She a
0: doctor and she got time for that. Well, and I have time. And, and I think it's just amazing, like that quality of life that you guys mm-hmm. were seeking before you had your child it seems like it has just completely permeate permeated the way y'all yes. even for him right yes yes and just that calmness and peace because that's something I do hear from parents but and particularly american parents right where depending on where they go it's a completely different environment and and a little bit even if they are the minority where they're going yes it's just it's just a different <laughs> it's a different vibe and I and we all know this. Prejudice, racism, all of that exists everywhere. So Oh yeah, yeah. everywhere. Not a single I, I was like I'm not nothing is a kumbaya moment everywhere. No. You know what I mean? Like we get this. Like we know yes. this. Yes. But as it presents itself in the US, it's just a very particular type of insidiousness. That's right. That is very that may not be as found or as open in other places right or at least they have less weapons so okay that's okay yes I was thinking about this you were talking you were talking I was thinking about that this morning I kept thinking it's not that people aren't crazy in other places it's just they don't have
1: they, they don't have the the access to weapons. Seriously. <laughs> Man, Isn't
0: if we got weird? rid of
1: those, it might be a completely different place.
0: <laughs> I, can't, I can't. And I, so I started thinking in my mind if we did get rid of the weapons, what would the U.S. look like? But it's sort of like healthcare, right? We have certain ideas about things, and for whatever reason, we're not going to let them go. Like,
1: <laughs> we, yes. are, we
0: refuse to let them go. Yes, we will not change. We
1: just hold on <laughs> so, to those things.
0: But, you know, I think part of it is that I think as as Americans, when you look at the rankings in terms of this idea of how you see yourself in the world, we are like, of all the countries, we're the most individualistic. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's good, I think, especially when you talked about innovation, creativity, right. finding your path. That is such an amazing thing, right? To just be like, I'm going to be fearless. And you have to think right. about it because, uh, and I always have this caveat, Native Americans were here. <laughs> Black Americans who are not recent migrations, so I'm saying 60s on, were brought here, right. <laughs> right? But you have to be kind of a weirdo to leave whatever country that you knew. No, and, yeah. I, and I say this even as soon as I've been an expat, right? And just be like, I don't even know what's over there. Nope. And I'm going to state claim and I'm going yes. <laughs> to live in Buffalo, New York with that winter <laughs> and, and, and figure it <laughs>
1: out. Yes, right? exactly. So
0: I get the individualism, but then when you think about things like health care and wellness and, and and really gun violence and all these other issues, all of a sudden it becomes, you know, we kinda need to work out this together. Yes. But that individualism kind of works against it. And so I could see especially a black parent, child with autism, black boy. Black boy. boy. Mm. I mean, and it's we, we've seen the stories, right? There's, I yep. mean, I think what was it yesterday or two days ago was the birthday of Elijah McLean, who was the that's young right. man. I posted, ki- that's right, I posted
1: it about him. Yep.
0: Who sure was killed did. In, in Colorado for those who don't know who yep. Aurora for no apparent reason. And I think we've all seen the videos of him playing the violin and just mm-hmm. looked like a really sweet young man. And, yeah. And then I think fairly recently, it was also not the birthday, but the kind of the Ahmaud anniversary. Arbery. Ahmaud Arbery. Uh-huh. Um, and here's the thing. You and I are talking about in the last 12 months, right? Just uh-huh. two young men. Yeah. You and I know plenty of names that came before. Yes. And some that came after. Yes. And so... That trade off to living in Australia, I can totally yes. understand. Yes. Especially as a parent. Yes. Which then kind of leads me to sort of pivot. Um, you run, you're doing all this stuff. So, your mama, wife, doctor, <laughs> yep. Yep. arguing on Twitter. I mean, arguing on Twitter is a job. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> that I mean, you sometimes. may not be arguing, but you you know, you on Twitter, right? <laughs> Social media is a job. Yes, it is. But you also started a consulting coaching practice, which I did. I First of all, I'm pumped. I'm not even a doctor, but this is why I'm pumped because <laughs> I see all kinds of practices, and you know, you do black excessive, you see all whatever. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that this is so professionally focused, and it's so like you have a niche. Like it mm-hmm. is, I ain't gonna talk about everything. But what I'm gonna tell you is this is how you could be a doctor in New mm-hmm. Zealand and in Australia. That's so it. tell me a little bit about Expat MD, why you came up with it and, and who is it really targeting and what's the focus? So I came up with it because in the eight to 10 years
1: I was overseas, I've actually helped about eight doctors um, mm-hmm. immigrate to New Zealand or Australia. yeah, And The reason why I did that is because, as you know, once you get there, word disseminates. And the next thing you know, someone's saying, oh, I know someone who's in New Zealand. You should contact them. And then I'm giving them the steps, telling them how to do it. This is what you start off with. This is your application. And after doing that five, six, seven, eight times, (laughs) I'm like, wow, you know, I could probably make a business out of this. And so that's how Expat MD was born in that there's such a... A desire out there for American physicians to pivot and to see what else is mm. out there and how they can work and have a completely different lifestyle. And since there's so much more information out there than there was before, yeah, they know more than when I moved ten yeah. years ago. There's Facebook groups devoted to people who want to be, you know, docs abroad, and there's you know expat doctor mom, and you know all kinds of groups. And so that information is out there, and those people are, are thirsty to figure out well, how do you do this, you know, mm-hmm. and and a lot of times it could be they don't know where to start. Uh, they are, you know, just mortified on how do I take the, you know, the first step, um, or they're just busy. They don't have time to do it, but they want to get it done. And so, you know, after thinking about it and going back and forth, I was like, you know what. I think I can do this. <laughs> this.
0: I mean, you were doing it anyway. Might as well get paid for it. I just exactly. don't. That's me. <laughs> the hustle. Exactly. You've been doing it. You do exactly. it for free. Now you should do it to get paid. You sound like
1: my husband. He said that too. So uh, that's See, exactly right. I'm always he looking at the, the hustle thing. for Black
0: people. I'm like, uh, <laughs> get paid for that. That's right. So how, so how long has it been in existence? Is this relatively new or?
1: It is brand new. So she launched at the beginning of February.
0: Oh, this February?
1: Yeah, like uh, 25 days ago.
0: <laughs> Holler Black History Month. Let me go ahead and start a business and... No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Twenty-five days ago now.
0: And I and I've been on the site and I, I was reading along and I'm like, well, I didn't go to med school, but maybe I could shimmy myself into this. <laughs> but so how are you working with um are you working with individuals like one-on-one? Are you doing group coaching? Are you doing webinars? Masterminds, like what's your your format?
1: So my format is one-on-one. So I do one-on-one coaching. And so we have different programs depending on exactly how much they want to do um, and how much they want want us to do for them. And so for people who are just like dabbling that figure that they can probably make the time but don't know where to start, um, I basically will set them up with the whole program and explain to them where they start, how they start with their licensing, how they start um, getting their credentials recognized in Australia and New Zealand, um, which visas they would probably qualify for, and also to kind of help them with identifying jobs that will be best for them. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of a full service kind of helping them out. And then Mm -hmm. each package just becomes a little bit more like... And, detailed. So, you know, Australia, New Zealand has a format that they like with their resumes and CVs. So, I -hmm. I basically coach them on how you put in an Australasian format, how to write a cover letter, because that's a very important part of applications here that we might not use or utilize so much back home. As a doctor back home, you don't use a cover letter. That's not usually done. So, teaching them those aspects of the culture, the employment culture here, Um, interview prep, getting them ready for their college interviews, because they're going to have a, a face-to-face interview with docs from this country to -hmm. see whether or not they, you know, compare to an Australasian doctor. So I prep them and coach them for those, but I do it all one-on-one.
0: And how long do you typically think or on average end up working with a client or you've worked with people in the past? So, usually in the past, it takes
1: quite a while because the yeah. whole process usually takes about three months or longer, but the yeah. biggest key is getting those applications in and then getting started. So, on average, I'll probably be with a client for anywhere from like uh, four to you know 12 weeks. So, it's a, a longer process, which is why it's a really, it's a nice niche because you can only take so many clients because you're doing a lot of work with them. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I can only take a certain number of clients because it is it's a lot of detailed work.
0: I'd imagine. Yeah, no. And I, and it's a very, like I said, you're very niche and it's very specialized and you're on a very, you're on a very particular path. And so I can understand that, that those that you're working with also are serious because- Typically, I'll see folks who are like, well, I want to go abroad. And I'm like, okay, there's some coaches. I think you need to work in your situation, but they're not as serious. But I think if they're doing what what you're doing, um, that they would be. And so, oh my goodness. Well, here's the thing. We're definitely going to have the links in the show notes. And we're going to have the links on the website because I – I'm always looking for quality coaches anyway, uh, because I get ask, we get asked a lot of questions in the black expat. And so I think that I definitely want to promote that to make sure that thank you, a, you know what you're talking about, B, you've done it, C, you've kind of helped other people because, like I said, there are probably people sitting here right now going Lord of the Rings. I want to go to New Zealand and <laughs> 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 I'm a doctor. How do I do this? Yeah, I can you help, help you. It? And so the other thing that came up as we start to wrap up is that I know that you've also written some books. Like I, is that true? Am I, did I make this up? So, so no, I wrote
1: one book and actually okay. it, goes, it literally goes along with, the, the company. So interesting enough, the company didn't come first. The book came first. So yeah. I started writing it two years ago because once again, I was helping all these people and I figured, well, I'm going to write this stuff down. So that way I can stop texting out in the middle of the night on Facebook messenger, yeah. all the steps that you need to do. Right. So um, it, it literally used to be to the point that I would be up at night on Facebook messenger because someone would give somebody my information. And then I would have this like little cut and paste document. I would send them and it just became so onerous. And I'm like, okay, this is the doesn't make sense. So I just started jotting things down, writing things down. And then, you know, my husband was like, hey, write a book. I'm like, oh, well, nobody's going to read it, but okay, sure. No problem. So started (laughs) writing this book, you know, off track and back on track. It took me two years (laughs) to get this baby done. Um, And she is now at the printer and um, hopefully will be on Amazon and Mm -hmm. in Barnes and Nobles and bookstores by, I'm hoping before Easter. I'm hoping awesome before awesome. Easter. Awesome. So um, yeah, so it's literally a book that goes along with the consulting. So it's Expat MD: Your Guide to Living and Working in Australia and New Zealand. Um, oh, yes. So it's once again for those physicians that are interested in making the move, because there's a there's a pretty large cohort of people that are interested, thinking about it, not sure. And there's a lot of people that will just do it temporarily. They'll go for a year, two years, and then just you know come back home.
0: Very cool. And so definitely geared towards those who, and I, would you say your book is geared towards those coming from an American system or could some of the Canadians, Brits, or maybe folks from other parts of the world kind of get some information off of that? They can.
1: And actually with our, um, with our coaching in the company, I was focusing on North American doctors, but, um, because of our travels and because of the extensive mm-hmm. like networks and things that we have, you know, this is something that can actually take on a life of its own. So I can help doctors from the UK because I've you know read all the documents on how to do it, yeah. and it's just a matter of knowing d- you know diplomas and how this translates mm-hmm. and those types of things. So I can I can more than likely help doctors from anywhere. Um, but the key is is I can very easily quickly help doctors from the United from States because I know that system so very well in and out and done it several times. Very cool. um, but we also have other uh, professionals that are here that we know and would like to branch out and maybe even consider, you know, expat MD engineering edition or, you know, mm-hmm. expat MD, you know, consultant edition. So mm-hmm. we, we have these people in our networks here and there's no reason why we can't use that education and mm-hmm. knowledge to branch out and help others that might want to make, you know, the bounce over here.
0: And I and I was I'm remiss because I do want to ask this because you mentioned about sort of these other areas do you think that is part of the reason that maybe it was Easier for you to find an opportunity. Is there a shortage or is there a need? So it, that's, I guess, that's a question huge I should, have, I should have asked the career counselor. We should have said, "Where is the critical shortage?" Because now that people are excited about some places, yes. I need to tell, them, yes. "Wait a minute, yes, who are yes. they looking for?" Before you yes. just go hop on a plane. So that's the beauty
1: of Australia, and New Zealand, Australia especially because it's such a vast continent and they have such a huge need for a lot of things. So both New Zealand and Australia put out their skills shortage list, and they will have a list of degrees, diplomas diplomas, specialties, professions that they need now. And those specialties will be fast-tracked. And I've seen everything from chefs to um, people who are... um, uh, dive, uh, people who fix boats and everything. So mm-hmm. I don't know what they call them, but people, yeah, yeah. you know, do, you know, soldering and stuff underwater, yeah. um, forestry, people who work in forestry and lumber, um, engineers, all kinds of things. Even I just recently saw um, primary uh, school teachers. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be doctor, lawyer, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, of it, course. It, it could definitely be a variety of professions that don't even necessarily require advanced degrees, master's. PhDs, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say for someone out there, they should look at those because there is a huge need for doctors in both countries, but also not just doctors. There's a lot of other skills and professions that are needed.
0: And can I jump in real quick with when you say doctors, is there any interest in nurses? Yes. Oh God. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. I will say that because there will be some folks who are like, I'm a CMP or I'm a nurse. You yes. know, definitely yes. nurse practitioner yes. Yes. or just yes. You know, a licensed nurse. Okay. Yes. Cool. Yes. Yes. There is definitely a need for nursing. I, I feel like that's just a global thing. I mean, outside, you know what I mean? Where people are like, my mom yeah. was a nurse for like 40 years. It's uh, uh, like, there's always a need wonderful. for a nurse.
1: Yep. <laughs> Their population is aging everywhere. You know, that healthcare is going never going to go away. I mean, people get sick. People, you know, heal. People they live longer. Recover.
0: They that's live the other thing. live longer. <laughs> so, so there's
1: definitely going to be a need. So there's all kinds of just spinoffs in medicine, you know, ultrasound techs, you know. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. There's so
0: many things. So I so here's here's the most random connection but this is going <laughs> to work. Career counselor. I so I work in a college of veterinary medicine. Some people know this, some people are hearing this for the first time and going, "What?" Anyway, so all of my students are getting their DVM. And the huh. amount of job listings we get. And first of all, vets are already in a shortage as well, but the, the amount of job listings we get yeah. from Australia and New Zealand is mm-hmm. actually quite entertaining. I keep telling yes. students if you want to move yes. to Oceania right now. Yes, New Zealand is looking for like a whole bunch of veterinarians. Yes. And so yeah, I think definitely the healthcare, both both human and animal. To <laughs> be honest. So if you want to do expat DVM, I'm just giving you I'm giving I'm just for giving, real, giving you back? the next visit. <laughs> Look, okay,
1: that's cool. <laughs> that's a good one. Thank you. I'm,
0: I'm good for giving out jobs and free, like, this is how you can make money. Here's another area you can make Thank money. Thank you. <laughs> so as we start to wrap up, I, I, I always like to do these three lightning round questions. Um, okay. You don't have to think too hard about them. I mean, then people end up thinking too hard about them. But they're, they're just, they're just you know, things that I, I love to leave people on a high note with. So you are in Melbourne, um, uh-huh. which... Of course, when I first think Melbourne, I think Australian Open, which obviously mm-hmm. just ended. Uh, what's one must-have experience you must must do if you come to Melbourne for the first time?
1: Uh, you got to ride the trams. They have the most amazing public transport system, which makes this city super accessible. Um, and it gives you a really good view of the different neighborhoods and different parts. Um, we have some really funky, awesome street art. And just riding the tram is a must. You like That's just a part of being a Melburnian. Just ride the
0: tram. Nice. <laughs> Second question. And it's funny because you said something earlier that would totally answer this question. So you, you can't say what you said before. Oh, man. Okay. I was going to say, what's the most random thing someone has asked you? And I'm going to say just even living in, in o- Oceania. So someone from your home country. Now, you had said, are there sidewalks? And that, that kind of cleared <sighs> that question. But what what else is like the most random stereotype people tend to ask you when they find out you live in Australia? Do they speak English
1: there? Literally had someone ask me that. Serious. Okay.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm just yeah. stunned silence. That's where we're at. Yeah. Do they speak? Okay. Really? Yeah. What? I had someone
1: ask me that. That's how, that's how insular we are back home sometimes. We just literally think no one speaks English outside of us in England. England.
0: <laughs> well, maybe they thought this is giving a lot of credit. Kind of like Austria and they speak Austrian. So maybe they speak Australia. (laughs) No, no, they didn't. Okay. Nope. 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 I have
1: actually, this is, this is a really sad one. This is another random on the side. I had someone call me. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to embarrass this person. I love them. Someone called and said, um, Hey, I am going to be in Amsterdam soon. Can we meet up? And I was like, yeah, that's a whole nother country and another continent. They're like, I thought you were in Amsterdam. I'm like, no. (laughs) Well, I'm like, okay, Auckland, Amsterdam, not the same, different continent, just totally different. Lots of flights. Yeah, let's just pretend you didn't ask that.
0: (laughs) Because here's the funny part. Like, if you're on the East Coast of the Netherlands, it's nowhere near as far as it is Amsterdam to Auckland. It's right. like it's literally like I'm okay. I'm in on the East Coast. I'm going to London, and I know London and what yeah. I, I've been to both. Whatever, but from here to London yes. is sometimes shorter than yes. to California. So, how you landed? Well, maybe that's what they thought. <laughs> Let me put a black. Who's what they thought? White people, Europe. That's where she is. She's I, not in I, Africa. Seriously, I'm not really sure
1: of that thought process at all. I think they thought Amsterdam was the capital of New Zealand. Honestly, I think that's what it was. That's so fair. I really think that's what it was. Cuz that's the only thing to explain it. That's it's the only thing A. I can explain that. Say Amsterdam's the capital of New Zealand. There you go.
0: All right, outside of having lived in Australia and New Zealand, right mm-hmm. in terms of travel where is the location that you've been to so far in the world that you would go back to again fiji man fiji's on the bucket list my lord it's so beautiful it is <laughs> so on the bucket list main. and and you know what we this is this it would have aired by the time this episode airs but we did an interview with a fijian woman who lives in the uk it's so, <sighs> <laughs> so Somehow Man. I'm now in the, I'm over in that part of the Pacific Ocean with all yes. my interviews. Oh my
1: gosh. Fiji is amazing. I've been there twice and it's just like, oh my F- goodness.
0: Fiji's about to be my spot. The yes. world just has to open up and then I think Please. I'm going to be fine. I'm just like, come Lord on, to Fiji. Jesus, let us let yeah. us let's open up so I can go somewhere. Fiji bomb. Thank you so much for You're staying welcome. up and You're hanging welcome. out. And and just sharing your story and your family story and your career story. Um, I know that I've learned a lot, which is why I love doing these things. And I love the fact that you've just engaged and and, and been willing to take us into your world a little bit. Thank you.
1: It was fun. <laughs> I like I like telling people about the fact that it's not as scary as they think it would be living outside of your culture.
0: <laughs> there you go. And, that, you know, I, If everyone could kind of understand that, I think we'd be in a little bit better place. But I think as you've shown that you can definitely make a move and and thrive Mm -hmm. in that move. And so I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And with that, thank you so much for listening in. We're going to have all the contact information for Dr. Carmen Brown, where, you know, as you will, you know where to find it on our website and on our social media. I'm saying this as if everyone doesn't know where to find it, but you will be able to find her and connect with her, especially if you are interested in moving abroad to the areas that she's lived in and particularly if you're a physician. So I would encourage you to reach Mm -hmm. out, but thank you again for listening and we'll be back next time. Global Chatter with the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is produced by Justin Williams. You can find the show wherever you get your podcast or follow us on our YouTube channel at The Black Expat Presents.